My name is Chelsea Gallo, the assistant conductor of your Florida Orchestra, and joining me for our interview today is the bass trombonist of the orchestra, Harold Van Skyke. Yes. <laughs> oh, and we're here at the Scott Bar <laughs> at the Cordoba. <laughs> Okay, take 16, here we go. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. You're listening to Secret Lives of Musicians. It's a podcast under Soundwaves with the Florida Orchestra. And today, it's hosted by our assistant conductor, Chelsea Gallo. She sat down with principal bass trombone Harold Van Skyke right outside of our offices in downtown St. Petersburg, Florida at the infamously haunted Cordova Inn so that we could find out all about his life outside of the symphony orchestra. They talked about Harold's love for cats, the time he was recruited as an offensive tackle for college football, subbing with the Chicago Symphony as an undergrad, and more in this episode of Secret Lives of Musicians. Hello, my name is Chelsea Gallo, the assistant conductor of your Florida Orchestra, and with me for this episode is our principal bass trombonist, Harold Van Skyke. Hello. <laughs> I guess it's not, is principal bass trombonist redundant? I, I believe it's concertmaster principal ruling lord bass trombonist, yes. <laughs> uh, we'll put it to a vote. I can yeah. only anticipate Jeff would have a problem, but he, maybe he'll get outvoted. Well, you know, <laughs> when I auditioned here, the ad said concertmaster bass trombone, so I think I still have it at home cut out. because I can't tell if you're great. messing with me or not. No, it actually did. But they were auditioning concertmaster at oh. the same time, but it did say, the, the way the ad looked. That's it, hilarious. Yeah, it was, was awesome. Because the, the Florida Orchestra's been around for 50 Five seasons. Oh, yeah. And so how many of those have you, you been with them? 29. Okay, so, so that's a few years. Yeah, just a little bit. You in the trombone section, it's almost like you guys hold court. And and <laughs> I've seen I've seen you guys play together in a way that, that lifts up the whole orchestra. And I won't say anything to the opposite of that. <laughs> but you guys have so much power back there and you play it so cohesively. Your guys' attack together, your intonation, it's fantastic. I really think it affects the whole orchestra. It's wonderful. I'm incredibly blessed that I have some really great colleagues in in the back row there. I mean, if I could have assembled the ideal section from a kit, I couldn't have done better. It'd be one TJ, one Ross, one Joel. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have this right. You guys have started a little club together that you wear, and it's dictated by something you wear on your lapels. Yes. What is that? Is it a mystery? Is it a secret? It's the secret order of the skull, because in case y'all hadn't noticed is Joel has a bit of a skull obsession. (laughs) He has skull socks and skull shirts and that sort of thing. And he got us all skull pins. That's so sweet. uh, Speaking of film music, it's very Pirates of the Caribbean of you guys. Oh, yeah. 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 And there are a couple non-trombonists that have earned the right to wear the skull. but um, Oh, it must be Horn or Rob on trumpet or... Let's see. Or is it a secret? uh, Are you guys like the Illuminati? I, I believe you know Rob. Rob has earned earned the right, and there there have uh, been a couple other people who have been uh, awarded uh, the Order of the Skull. Are we going to have to cut this out of the podcast? Like, if, if the other musicians find out, is it going to be just like pandemonium? Well, you know, I don't know. It might be a good thing, you know, because it <laughs> it needs to be earned. So you need to hold I, it up. There is something about that, even though there's like a little competition edge to it. Yeah. It's nice that there's this camaraderie with yeah. this orchestra. And I think I think 
honestly, the majority of musicians with our group would agree that there is a wonderful health to this orchestra. And we all know that there are some orchestras all over the world where that's just not the case. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not saying it always is up to the brass, but yeah. sometimes, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you talk about the secret society that you and the brass guys have, uh-huh. but in you, in your personal life, I hear that your secret is that you love cats. <laughs> yes, I've sort of been taken over unwittingly by cats. That's so awesome. It kind of started, it wasn't my idea. It started when I first bought the house where I'm currently living. When I was moving in, there was like this orange cat that was like sitting there watching me move in. And... It adopted you? Eventually, yeah. Like it was, it it took him about like four years. He, He was always checking me out and... He was kind of like the neighborhood neighborhood stray because you know I asked like the neighbors if he belonged to anyone and it was they were like no he's just kind of around the neighborhood and, you know I'd always see him like a couple streets over in either way and it took probably about four or five years but um, he eventually came inside the house first time for about maybe ten seconds mm-hmm. and then then bolted out but then he stuck around a little longer and you know so have you named him. Uh, well, uh, his, his name was Duke. Unfortunately, Duke passed away a um, um, couple, so couple years ago, but he, he, he was, ended up living with me for about 15 years, and we sort of estimated that when he died, he was probably 20 years, give or take a year. You made that cat's life amazing. Oh, is you know probably both ways. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, after he was you know home a couple of years, is he he brought home a friend, so that you know. Yeah. And that just kind of started it. So. So you do own a cat right now. Uh, I own three right now. And Andy, is there <laughs> or, any chance we can? Or they own me right now. I three think. cats. Yeah. Andy, is there any chance that we can do like? some ploy where we let Harold's cats walk around the stage. Have you seen those videos? I have. We'll pull the orchestra. If anyone's allergic, they can have the service off. That'd be so cute. Oh, but we we might not ever get them back. (laughs) Does your cat like when you practice at home? One of them doesn't mind. The other two head for the hills. That's hilarious. Yeah. In Um, fact, all they need to hear is the trombone coming off the trombone stand, (laughs) and they are gone. (laughs) <laughs> I love that. What what intelligent little kitties. Oh, yeah. You yeah. also played for the Chicago Symphony, right? Oh uh, Well, I, I, I sub with them some, yeah. Yeah, but you did that before coming here. And if I remember, yeah. you said you came here 27 years ago. So yeah. you were quite young getting to play with the Chicago Symphony. Yeah, the first time I got to play with them was actually during my undergrad. And it was a year, one of my teachers, the bass trombonist and, and uh, CSO, Ed Kleinhammer, he retired in 1985. And they, of course, held the audition for his position and and then the, the bass trombone player for then the Philadelphia Orchestra won, won the position, but Philly wasn't going to let him out of his contract for a year. So there was a year there where the, uh, CSO didn't have a bass trombone player, and they had a couple of the, the finalists for the job as well as a couple of the local players that they, I guess, felt were up to the task fill in over the course of the season. And I was lucky enough to be on that list someplace and got to got to play some with them. Well, and you didn't get 
get to play just anything. I think I got. I think I first heard this story not from you, but a different trombonist in TFO <laughs> that you got to actually perform. Was it was it Das Rheingold with Schulte or a different Wagner? No, it was Wagner excerpts with Schulte conducting, and also got to do a concert and and a recording too of a whole bunch of opera choruses again with Schulte, and got to work with several of the other conductors that came through Chicago during that period of time as well. That must have included Barenboim and Ozawa and that generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. Got to do, let's see, some stuff with Slacken and Abato. Just, yeah, just so. a couple of greats yeah. there. Yeah. You know, you talk about athleticism on, on the concert stage, both Abato and Jolte, just movers, movers oh, yeah. and shakers for sure. George Jolte, there's this, for anyone who wants to check it out, there's this <laughs> very, very famous video of Jolte and Vienna, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the funeral march from from after Siegfried's death at the end of Go to Damerung. It's yeah. I, I only saw the video for the first time a few months ago. It's unreal. Oh. Was that so? Once you all go watch that video, <laughs> you'll be able to participate in the next part of this conversation. Was was his energy just like that video? Because I know you've seen the video. Yes. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't as animated in that video because that that video was taken. I think at least a good twenty five years before when I got a, a chance to work with him. But he was still pretty doggone lively on the podium. Well, let's talk about that because something about there is something about conductors that audiences find very mysterious. Mm-hmm. It's this evocation of intent that's wordless and seemingly through sometimes, like with that Jolte video, almost psychotic movement. And sometimes in the case of, you know, the documentation of of Richard Strauss, it's very, Mm -hmm. very dry. Right. It runs the gambit, all of of this thing with conductors. So is there something that you've learned over the years, I guess, decades about conductors that you like or dislike? Is it, is there an answer? I think the conductors need to find a style that works for them and is, I think, part of them and their personality. I mean, you know, you talk to Schulte and you see the way he conducts rehearsal, the way he talks to the orchestra, and his style on the podium matches that. He's fitting in your face like this. I'm getting an exit. That's the way he comes off on the podium, too. I think that's what we benefit here at TFO from is, is Michael Francis, our music director. How he is is how he is on the podium. Yeah. It's so genuine and authentic. And the musical products that we make are so great. Yeah. And, and speaking of him, you get to have some more Wagner in your life. Not, <laughs> not this time with Jolte, but at the end of this season, the, yeah. the season ends with The Ring Without Words, the yes. Lauren Mazel. The Lauren Mazel. Yeah. yeah. Have you played it yet in, I, in your career? I have not played it. I remember when it first came out, the recording that he did with Berlin. I think it was like in early 90s, might have even been 91, 92. Oh, it's uh, been around that long. Yeah. Okay. And I remember hearing it and just going, this is cool. I would love to do this one day. Mm-hmm. And I'm finally getting to do it like, what, 30 years later. And, but, you, and you are going to play bass on it? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because we are adding in all the brass, right? Mm-hmm. Which, do you happen to know, do you remember the numbers for how many extra Wagner tuba it calls for and um, trombones and... Yeah, it's, the parts are written for, I believe, eight horns, four of which double on Wagner tuba. I think maybe four trumpets and then bass trumpet, four trombones, as well as, you know, the, the bottom two trombones, the, the third trombone is 
bass trombone and the fourth trombone is bass trombone with optional doubling of contrabass and then tuba. All I heard so. was that if something happens to Michael and me, you're going on the podium because no one else, <laughs> no one else remembers that. But it's, it's like a, a smorgasbord of the juiciest instruments, right? Oh, it's it's, it's, it's going to be incredible. Yeah. Anyone? Oh, a Wagner Tubin is essentially. It's affectionately known as a scud horn. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you just put something in it and it's going to go out and you just hope it hits what, what you want it to hit. They're kind of notoriously finick, finicky instruments, but it looks like an oval baritone, an oval-shaped wrapped baritone that's played with a French horn mouthpiece. Like if viola was a brass instrument. <laughs> right? Right? That's pretty fair, right? Yeah. If, if yeah. a sousaphone and a French horn had a baby. Not a not a tuba, but like a mm-hmm. sousaphone, like the marching ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it just sort of has this. Now we have to be complimentary because yeah. I did the viola thing. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think, if you can imagine like a bass flugelhorn, it's probably or, or a contrabass flugelhorn. It's probably close to that. It's this inc- really sort of dark, mellow, round sound that kind of bridges the gap between the French horns and the tuba. In fact, it's, when Wagner does, does the writing for it a lot, is the tuba is, he writes the, the tuba at the bottom of the, of the Wagner Tuban choir. Wagner brass parts are beyond influential. They're everything that lead us oh. to John Williams, to mo- modern film music beyond John Williams. I mean, I've, composers I've, afterward. I've always said Wagner was probably the greatest film composer of all time. Yes, that, that's spot on. <laughs> because, you know, it, it's like everyone that came after him, whether it's John Williams or even the, the ones... Or of, Korngold, the early yeah, film. Korn, yeah. yeah, Korngold and, and all those ones from like the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and Miklos Roja, you know, yeah. they all they all use the same techniques. Oh, we did Ben-Hur together, didn't we? Yeah. First time I'd ever seen his name before. Yeah. No, but love it. And I think it's not your longevity with the orchestra that made me so excited to do this interview with you. I think the whole orchestra knows by now that I'm such a Harold fan. <laughs> and it's not just because you love cats or that you're a vegetarian like me. It's also that you did sports growing up. Yeah. You were a big sports guy, right? Yeah. And your sport was? Well, main sport was football. I played that in high school and then also did wrestling and track in high school as well. And growing up, of course, like Little League Baseball and all that other stuff. So a whole bunch of stuff. Soccer. Well, I mean, do you do you feel, I mean, the obvious question is, do you feel that being such an athlete set you up to be such an aerated performer? Is aerated the right word? I'm not sure. I, I, what I mean is with lungs. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's just being like 6'6", that kind of comes with the package. So. Oh, totally. But... <laughs> No, I I actually think sports just sort of set it, set things up from almost more of a psychological standpoint than anything else. I've always felt band geeks and jocks have more in common than either one would ever want to admit. You know. <laughs> oh, totally agree. Yeah. It, it's definitely the mental game. It's it's so many things, right? Yeah. It's being able to take direction at an early age. It's mm-hmm. being able to work with others and receive exactly. constructive criticism. It, it's everything. Yeah, and it's, and it's the dedication as well as doing the work away from the game as well. That if you want to succeed in music, you have to put in the time in the practice room. You want to succeed on the field or on the court, you have to put in the time of the weight room and watching film and all this other stuff. So. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, people love to say in, in popular culture, my kids learn so much what they need to know through sports. Yeah. And it's too bad that we don't have pretty much the same mantra for parents. Whatever your kids need to learn, they can, they can really learn it in a rehearsal. Yeah. All the good that sports do for kids, I think, equally applies in the band room as well. Or orchestra room. I think it's often lost on a lot of our audiences just how athletic what we do on stage is. The number of injuries, how much <laughs> of it takes a toll on your body and your ears, it's oh, comparable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've, I've actually seen it happen, unfortunately, with a lot of my colleagues. A lot of string players that develop repetitive motion injuries as well as tendonitis and elbow and stuff like that. In fact, if you look in most string players' cases, you'll find at least a 50-count thing of ibuprofen in there. Oh, yeah, or the icy hot patch. <laughs> Oh, right? yeah. 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 Well, and for you guys, too, I mean, there is something about that repetitive motion, especially using one side of your body yeah. um, or, or just the mental focus, the mental acuity of being present for so long. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like none of our instruments are actually ergonomically designed. There's all, all kinds of wrist and arm and shoulder and back issues just trying to hold an instrument upright that's trying to pull you forward and a lot of things wear out over time. In fact, the thing for bass trombonists, just because our instrument's so heavy and the way it's designed to be held, we have to hold up our instrument with these two fingers right here. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of players, couple in some pretty prominent positions that have had to retire early because they could just no longer physically hold their instrument. Oh no, is there is there like something that can be designed like wrist wrap finger wrap yeah there's all kinds of like braces and things but nothing nothing's perfect yet yeah. you know there's certain certain things that help I, I think that's actually one of the biggest differences between our athleticism and the athleticism of you know a comparable a professional athlete they're kind of depending on the sport guaranteed retirement unless you're tom brady right around 40 Right. And so even if you start around the same time, you know, you probably start baseball and basketball four or five years old. A lot of us musicians start at four and five years mm -hmm. old. You only have to go 35 years and then maybe yeah. transition into being a coach or something. But we go until we're almost 70. Yeah. There's very little in terms of institutional care. You know, we're not provided mas massage therapists mm -hmm. or physical therapists or even yoga instruction. Although I hope that's something that the Florida Orchestra is going to change. I've heard talk that certain people are looking into that. And I can't remember which orchestra it was that for a while they actually had like a resident massage therapist. It's going to be us, for um, sure. <laughs> I think some of the ballet orchestras actually have done that like during Nutcracker season just because they're doing 12 performances a week and, and that kind of thing. And That's a comparable as well. A lot of ballet dancers, they don't oh, even make it to 35. Yeah. Opera singers, if they can go past 50, it's remarkable. Yeah, and occasionally you'll, you'll get real freak in nature like one of my... Uh, teachers in Chicago, uh, the uh, principal trombone player there, Jay Friedman, he's 84 and still going. That's incredible. He's been in the orchestra, I think, since 1960 or 62. That's just amazing. Yeah. So has he passed on any longevity tricks to you? <laughs> No, not so, not so much directly, just kind of the way he plays. He has such a natural, relaxed manner that he approaches the instrument. And as little physical effort as you can put into it to get the job done. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. The parallels with sports and music, so mm -hmm. huge. But I guess you had to make a decision. You had the chance to play in yeah. college, or you did play in college? Yeah, I did uh, my freshman year. I was somewhat heavily recruited coming out of, of high school, which I could never really figure out why. There were probably 20-some schools looking at me uh, at And your the position time. was? Uh, I was offensive tackle. 
when you were 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and about uh, 265, 270. That was big back in 1980. And today's I, standards? I, I, think it, I think it was more I fit the suit than I was like really good, you know? Sure. And I, I was like, oh, okay, this might be kind of cool. So I ended up t uh, picking the, the college that had the best music program. And So you knew even then when you were getting recruited that you, that you were going to go into music? Oh, I, I've, I've wanted to play trombone for a living since I was 10 or 11. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, football actually kind of came around later. You know, it's, it's just remarkable because we have 10 and 11-year-olds who say, I want to play in the NBA someday. Yeah. I want to go to the Olympics someday. And it's an absolute parallel and it's just in general not appreciated enough that when you have a 10-year-old who says, I want to play in a mm -hmm. professional orchestra, it's sometimes even more exclusive mm -hmm. than being in the NBA. To be a trombonist at any level playing with the Chicago Symphony or the biggest oh, yeah. orchestra in Florida, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I've done like some master classes and talks at uh, colleges around the country, and one thing I, t I tell them, I said, mathematically, the odds are more in your favor of getting a job as a quarterback in the NFL than as a full-time professional trombone player in an American orchestra. You facts, know. facts. We need to. Yeah. We should. We should excerpt that and put it on the website. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll add a section to the website that just says hard truths, and it's just stuff from our musicians because it's it's unbelievably exclusive. And oh, I really do yeah. wish we had a culture where the public was so interested in you guys as individuals, as entertainers. In the same way that we are about the Tom Brady's and right. the Steph Curry's and everything. Yeah. Well, a lot of it, I think, is just not only the exposure, but, you know, there's an entire industry built around educating people on how to understand their game, how to understand football, how to understand, heck, even movies. I mean, you know, you talk to a member of the audience coming out of a movie theater and ask what they thought. They'll tell you about, oh, I thought the acting was this, the writing was this, this, that, and the other thing. You talk to anyone coming out of an orchestra concert, the first thing they'll do is they'll apologize and they'll say, well, I'm not a musician or I'm not a trained musician, so I really can't comment. But, you know, no one says, well, I'm not a, I'm not a I'm coach not or, I'm not, or I'm not a cinematographer, or, you know. So that is a great parallel, and it's something that we need to address as an industry because we've created that mentality right. among our audiences. Yeah, I, I, think it, I think we need to make ourselves a lot more accessible and get where people don't regard coming to an orchestra concert or listening to orchestral music as the same as going to a fancy restaurant and finding you know, five forks at your table setting. <laughs> Absolutely. And and what we expect from them as compared to a restaurant is even if you go to a restaurant and you don't know what you're going to order ahead of time, right. you get the option to pay at the end. Yeah. We ask them to pay up front mm -hmm. and then come for a product that they don't entirely understand. Yeah. And I, I wonder what the best way to bridge that gap is. It, I don't think it's, I don't, I honestly don't think it's what we've been doing. I don't think it's saying on an event by event basis, mm -hmm. this is a piano concerto. This is, this is a Beethoven symphony. I think we yeah. have to start developing a big, a broader message about why you come. We all know why we enjoy sports. Yeah. We like being witness to something that's incredibly human and kind of animalistic mm -hmm. and that it's a clear competition and there's a clear winner. Right. That's why we in America hate soccer because who, who's <laughs> ever heard of a sport that ends in a tie? But I'm kidding. I love soccer. I love Ted Lasso. Um, but 
when it's hard to deliver the tangibles with classical music. Yeah. But it's very easy to to deliver on the promise that you will have a unique experience, and on that anyone can comment. Mm -hmm. No one needs to comment on well the balance or the colors or the conductor's interpretation. You can let us know what it meant to you. Yeah. Although that's quite personal, but if we provide the right atmosphere for them. I'd hope they'd want to share that yeah. with us. Or how did it make you feel? Did you like the way the, you know, the violinist the played? Yeah. You know, or the the piano player on the Rachmaninoff? You know. I, I think the question. I think that's that's a great start. Is the questions could have a little bit more specificity too. Yeah. And not like how did the violins play, but like did it remind you of anything? Was there imagery? Did it take you somewhere? Yeah. Did it remind you of everything? Yeah. Of anything? So much of it is connected to memory. People come to the concert hall and they won't remember that the piece that they're about to hear is what their mom had on a record when yeah. they were growing up or stuff like that. And a lot of it is they'll go to a movie and not realize that they're listening to orchestral music for two, two and a half hours behind the film. Have you seen that thing on YouTube that does the scene in Jaws where the, the girl swimming and the shark's coming? Mm -hmm. And without music, oh, it yeah. looks ridiculous. And then if you put on different music, it's a comedy. Yeah. It's unbelievable what music does. <laughs> well, or, or even the uh, the final, the scene where Han Solo and, and Luke and Chewie are like getting the, the, the medals at the end and, and everything where they do it without the soundtrack. <laughs> It's actually kind of creepy, too. Oh, like, like, this could go either way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you play it with the soundtrack, and it's amazing. What music offers, it's... I don't want to be too atmospheric about this, but it parallels our everyday life. It presents yeah. pretty much en masse some type of theme and variation, if right. you consume it enough. And on some level, it's a dialogue. Mm -hmm. And on some level, there's hierarchy. Yeah. And all of these things are present in our day-to-day -day life, and... The number of days that you've gone without hearing a note of music in the United States, maybe a hundred in your entire lifetime. There's music everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's everything we do. It's everything that we need. So oh, yeah. You and I are both massive sports fans, but I think <laughs> if, we had to, if we had to pick the one that you take with your entire life to teach you more about the deepest questions, it's music. Yeah. Because it also provides us with the entertainment. Mm -hmm. It does everything. That's the thing about the Florida Orchestra. We do what you need. If it's just yeah. entertainment, if it's soulful expression if it's the Beatles. Yeah. Right? Well, and even so, it's like at the go to the Bucks game, what's the first thing you hear? The National is, Anthem. Well, there's there's that, but then but when they're getting ready to start the game, they're kicking off to O Fortuna from Carmen. Oh, Barada. yes. We opened our season you know? with that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the Florida Orchestra played the halftime show this yeah. year at the Bucks game. You weren't, you, were, you weren't there, though. No, I wasn't. Well, I think that was strategic, because if they would have seen you, they might have hired you. <laughs> and we would have been out of bass trombone player. Yeah. Well, yeah, at that time, they were, they, they were kind of in need of some offensive line help, shall we say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Harold, I can't thank you enough for doing this. It, it's so fun talking to you. What I love about this is that our audiences get to learn how interesting and individual you guys are, which makes sense that you would all be so unique, because what we do is so creative. Of course, what we do only can come from people mm -hmm. who are they themselves a creative being. So so thank you for this conversation. We oh, should finish sure. these. We'll turn the oh, cameras yeah. off and then... What, yeah. are you, what are you drinking, Man, Oh, I just asked for a beer. I yeah. no I, uh, the Green Bench uh, Pilsner. Oh. Yeah. Local. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Secret Lives of Musicians. We'll see you at the next one.